Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Comics Fondle Podcast. My name is Andrew. My website is comicsfondle.com. And this is Vernon, and I own the, the fine comics retail establishment called the Comics Gallery on Chicago's North Shore in Wilmette. And this is our monthly podcast where we talk about all things comics. Uh, well, no, we don't. We talk about, well... <laughs> Comics are the, the focus. We, comics are the focus, but we don't talk about all things comics. We talk about some good comics. How about that? We're talking about good that comics. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. We we skip a lot of comics because they're bad ones. Well, we don't do too many Marvels or DCs. This is this is the podcast you go to 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 get to good comics, not 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 the stuff. Not that, the, not those. Yeah, we we're not even going to talk about whatever ter- DC losing all that money or whatever the hell is going on with DC. <laughs> Oh, it's it's a stitch. Well, we've been talking about that for months, and it finally happens, and you and I are like, yeah, okay, what the fuck's next? You know, I mean, really? So, I mean, on the um, Comics Gallery's Facebook page at facebook.com backslash the Comics Gallery with an S. Go there. Go there. We do link to articles about all the stuff going on at DC because uh, Vernon is not a Rich Johnson fan. I don't know if I'm technically a Rich Johnson fan, but I do enjoy him sitting around and just – you know, everything is crumbling in the world that that Rich wants to crumble. So he's getting right. to catalog DC losing money on the move. He's getting to catalog DC. What are they doing? They're getting rid of DCU, and they're going to bring it back to the new 52 pretty soon. Well, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's flubber nothing from guys who don't know what the fuck they're doing, obviously. I mean, after what? What? One issue, two issues, three issues. All of a sudden, it's time to abandon the ship and jump the shark. Shit. And I don't know who said it. I can't, I don't think it was, I think it was just some guy I follow on Twitter who's an old uh, 70s and 80s DC fan who's just like, they just got to get rid of Dan Didio. And it's like, people have been saying that for a while now. Yeah. People have been saying that for 10 years, you know, and it's just kind of like, nobody cares but uh so we don't talk about that kind of thing but you can go no. read about it on the facebook page and you can read about other stuff on the facebook page because uh you know it is it is there. the fun right and it's the funnest listing of comics articles out there i mean newsarama cbr uh the well the beat is pretty good and you like yeah. rich johnson we'll give them kudos but there aren't too many places where you no. can just get a good digestion of fun articles about comic books from an intelligent mind Namely, Andrews. And, he runs it. And uh, Tom Spurgeon's uh, Tom Spurgeon's site's good, but it's a pain in the ass to link to sometimes. So sometimes it is. Yeah, he doesn't have a good server. I think uh, it's one of them hippie bohemian servers. That he it is up. a very hippie bohemian server. It reminds you of back when Heidi ran the beat off of like the sir the Rick Veach's basement computer. Remember that? Yeah, the one, the one with the hamsters in the in yeah. The, in the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Some days it would work. Some days it wouldn't. Yeah. Like, what happened to my computer? What the hell's going on? But we digress. Yes. So we're going to we're gonna jump right into comics. We got some stuff to talk about that afterwards. Um, starting this episode, we will have the subject list of comics that we go through. We will be yes. posting that online. It'll be on yep. the um, the post for the podcast at Comics Fondle. It'll be on the post for the podcast at the Comics Gallery's Facebook page. And who knows, it might even show up in the iTunes uh, listing. I, 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 it, it, I don't know. 
Well, you see, that's it. And if you're too hammered or stoned to remember everything, this luscious information that Andrew and I are giving you, you can just tomorrow consult the Facebook page or whatever have you, and we'll have a listing of everything we talked about so you don't have to write it down. You just yeah. enjoy listening. So the first thing we're going to talk about is Providence 3. Now, Vernon didn't tell me Providence 3 was coming out. Every week, Vernon Ooh. tells me what comics I'm supposed to read. But he didn't oh, tell me it. Providence 3 had come out. And so uh, later on, he sends me the list for the podcast. He's like, Providence 3. And I was like, you didn't tell me about Providence 3, which arguably is the most important comic book this month. Because it's Alan Moore continuing to do his... I mean, this issue reveals that his avatar Lovecraft series are in their own universe in a way. And it's weird. And it's creepy weird. It's creepy weird, but it's also not because really it it's, it's, and then of course in the back matter, the back matter of Providence, if you guys don't know and girls, because I'm sure we have a lot of female listeners in here. Yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) The back matter is the journal of the protagonist and Moore's been like kind of showing off that you don't know what's actually going on in the mind of a character, even if he's the protagonist. So it's more getting to play with narrative in a way that he hasn't done since the ABC line. I mean, Promethea was the last one that I remember that had this much. Uh, I haven't read Lost Girls, so that might have had quite a bit. But you know, you can't read Lost Girls. So I just can't. I, I'm waiting as I as I don't actually read Lovecraft. I'm actually waiting for the back matter to to drive me insane. I'm waiting for it to become a bunch of symbols, and for as the character <laughs> goes insane, for more to try <laughs> to drive the reader insane. Right, speaking in tongues and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But he, he he's literalizing all these ideas, and uh, Jason Burroughs is doing it, and Burroughs has that very clean... Um, straightforward. Straightforward style of his, and it's just working out great. And it, in some ways, Neonomicon was way too out there to be a legitimate comic for avatar avatar has been you know they grew up from being brian polito lady death and what the uh night of the living dead franchise to you know cross gave him some respectability but it went away pretty quick uh the other one fashion beast could have given them a lot if they could have gotten a better script for it but well, they're the publisher of stuff, that, but they've gotten refined. You're right. Where they they're were getting like better. And now they're actually refined. As fine, but I think as Provident, when Providence – Providence is the first Avatar book since, I don't know, 300 – was it 300? The one Annis wrote about assassinating George W. Bush. Oh, shit. I don't remember that. You don't wow. Mean, no, I don't. In, it, before the re-election, like – they didn't actually show the guy killing Bush. It was about a Punisher-type oh, yeah. figure going nuts and finally killing Bush. That's right. I remember what, that. Was that 300? Uh, I think I bought the uh, trade of that. Uh, no, 300 is Frank Miller's tomb. Uh, 
Well, it had something to do with the uh, rifle. The guy was three hundred three. Yeah, the three. Yeah, three hundred three. And the guy looked like Clint Eastwood. I mean, it was yeah. just and his. Yeah, so that was the last trade of avatars. I think I got. But hey, hey wait, Ennis did wish fulfillment before what's his name did in that film uh, shit where he kills Hitler in. Oh yeah, before Quentin Tarantino does it, he did right, it right, better. Right. Yeah, Inglorious Bastards. But I can't wait to see what they come out with for Providence. Like they want to do it hardcover. They want to do it in three vol. I don't care. I'm gonna get it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's because I want to read it in a in, in a whole. I want to read it, all of it at some point. Right, right. Because because even these monthly chapters are good, but they're just so they're like you're you're looking at this unique, ancient narrative that's told through this guy. Like you say, you don't fully trust or think he's totally sane, but he's slowly but surely driven into this web of whatever horror it is, and he's a willing participant. That's what's so but wild. But he's so unknowing. He's unknowing. That's what the great part about the end is, about the back matter, is he's so unknowing. He's clueless he's about clueless, anything. He's clueless, right. He's clueless. And he's, it, it, it's, uh, you just got to go read it. I mean, it's so good. Providence is probably one of the ultimate horror comic books. It, it is. is filled with so much stuff, too. The, the, the visual symbology i've heard from some of my customers are more fluent than lovecraft than andrew and i he, he sit there and told me about all this stuff i'm like holy shit I oh didn't yeah. Get that. yeah yeah just, yeah every every issue has some you know intense lovecraft connection that like it informs on it because it's alan moore and he has nothing better to do than to write these amazing comic books yeah, I mean, a lot of people, you know, it's. I guess it's not fashionable to like Alan Moore since before Watchmen was published. But I'll tell you one thing: he he puts to shame everyone because he doesn't just take genres; he kind of adapts them to comics format in mm. a very unique and personable way that is just that is just his. No one, no one is doing He's, what Alan Moore does. No okay? one's doing what he does, and no one's more accessible than he is. That's like kind of the craziest thing about Alan Moore is. He's 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 doing a definitive anti Lovecraft the guy pro Lovecraft the cultural phenomenon yeah <laughs> um comic book that's accessible for people while still trying to scare the pants off them I mean it's yeah he does that he does that he he's he did that and he yeah. It works on so many levels. You could be just like the casual comic fan reading this weird shit and fa take it for visual face value and get creeped out. Or you can go at another level when you're a formal observer of comics and look at the panels and how everything builds up. And, and then you could go on a purely like literal level of symbology and look at all these panels packed with all these little things and symbols and iotas that normal human beings don't understand unless they're versed in the ways of the arcane and the occult. And it is just Alan Moore with this and in that cross book, he's at another creative stride. And I, if you like horror, don't miss this. This is yeah. really a period of comics for him. And I uh, think I think in my post I said that Alan Moore is going out of his way to legitimize gore comics. Oh, easily, easily, yeah. yeah this this is certainly a statement. So to that what he needs to do next is a comic with Juan Jose Reap. Because nobody does intestines like Juan Jose Reap. 
<laughs> I don't. Is he ever worked with Reap? I can't remember. I don't, I don't think, think he has. I think Reap illustrated. <sighs> how, no, Jason Burroughs did how to break into com- or how to write for comics. That essay that they got out of that they illustrated Avatar did back when Moore wanted some cash. Burroughs is kind of his go-to guy, which is fine. But Reap. Reap can do gore in a way that Burroughs is scary. Burroughs understands how to pace out being disturbing, right? Right. Across the courtyard, right? Even though it's just from an Alan Moore story and Anthony, who the guy, I can't, Anthony 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 Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Even with that, that is a really creepy book, right? Like it's successful in creeping you out and making you want to sleep with the oh, light on. That's because yeah. of Jason Burroughs, right? right. Like, and the Alan Moore ideas. So, yeah. It, it, take, it takes a good writer to come up with a concept, but, but he has to really pair himself carefully with the artist. And, and Jason Burroughs is, is fitted to the task. Uh, I remember, believe it or not, a Warren Ellis series he did with Avatar yeah. where this, this homicide detective is working like his last couple of weeks on the job. And he runs into this real heinous or heinous serial killer of children leaving their heads around or something like that. And it just was nasty stuff. And I said, man, Jason Burroughs is just swallowing the pill. And illustrating this thing because it's got to be – you don't get to do stuff like this unless you can handle it, I guess. Because right. I can handle reading it, but could I handle drawing what, it? Over can you handle fig- – well, I mean, Alan Moore's going to give him the frame to draw, but still, like, yeah. It's tough. So Jason gets kudos. He is mm-hmm. not the most accomplished or craftsman-like artist, but he's very good, and don't don't underestimate him. Yeah. The Providence, boy, you could tell that impressed us. We spent, what, 10 minutes talking about I know about that. we did. Now we're going to talk about the uh, two or three, which, um... Mixed bag. Mixed bag. We, we, we couldn't really, uh, we've talked about the auteur, like the second series, how is it ever going to keep up with the first? Because the first was such an inspired piece of yeah. crazy bullshit that there's no way you could replicate it. So you don't try to replicate it. But on the other hand, you could see a writer trying to continue the momentum of something right. that's successful for himself. How do you do it and is it successful is where the auteur lives and dies. Uh, Sister Bambi, I think, is the name mm-hmm. of this one. And by the third issue, um, let me see if I got this handy. I should have. I do. <clears throat> Max uh, Rick Spears, our indie writer, he's one of those weird uh, out-of-the-way ones. Uh I'd say on certain levels, if you were going to say if Sister Bambi uh, continues, I'd say yes. Uh, it's certainly not as thick, dense, or as inspired, but he seems to have enough control over the elements anyway uh, with the filmmaking process. Now, it can all blow up in his hands any moment because he's got a couple of really talented people with artist uh, James Callahan and Luigi Anderson doing the colors. Really great team, did a great job on the first series. Um it's probably about 70 to 80% to me as good as the first series. You know, it's not going to be masterpiece, but so far I'm on board. I, I have to be it that way. I guess it's a general critical type thing. How'd you feel about Auteur 3? You can be honest. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about some things going on with indie comics I'm noticing later, but you know, I'm still on board and I'm still rooting for it, but it's not... I mean, the first series had a really bad issue or two, I remember. One really bad one, I remember. Yeah, but then, like, the rest of it was great. 
And Sister Bambi's not... I'm not seeing why we need a second series. Like, Spears is not justifying it yet. Right. He's funny. He's got funny details, but he doesn't have... It's well, not right. inspired the way the first Right. He's, he's working off a success, basically. That's what right. you get out of this. Because it's a very diluted form of what went on before with the intensity and the denseness of it. Uh, and it does follow a pattern. You know, whatever you want to say, this insanity does follow a pattern just from because insanity follows a pattern, even if it's insanity. Right. Well, yeah, lukewarm rating on that one, I guess, anyway. But we're still on board. But, you know, it's very lukewarm and we'll see what happens and see what he takes the characters and shit. And now we're going to talk about minimum wage number four, which I believe is the crazy issue. You know, that's a that's a wicked issue. And, and, and that's not where you, I'm not sure it's a good jumping on point. No, it's a terrible one. Um, so minimum wage for is <sighs> all right. So the the second series of this book is called So Many Bad Decisions, and it has gotten to the point now that the third issue had a guest star, which was sort of a thing that Bendis started back in the. 2005 or six with powers, maybe earlier than that with Warren Ellis and people use it occasionally yeah. as a joke that you have a real person showing up in your comic. Third minimum wage had a real stand up comic appear in the comic. That was this, a joke. Not, not, it wasn't a joke, but it was, it was a guest star, right? Yeah. But this one has this, you know, so Fingerman takes, you know, this somewhat, um, respected indie thing. and But with the next issue, he instead takes himself entirely out of all the stuff going on with Rob and puts him in this crazy dream where the only thing we're sure of is he went to a cash station for some reason, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah it's the quest, right? Yeah, so it's like, yeah, it's this, each issue of the comic, I since the new series anyway, because I haven't read any of the old ones, has had a color sequence where Rob's dreaming. Is that right? Mo a lot of them have. <clears throat> well, not in the old series. But in the, in the current anything series. Anything you've read. Yeah, there's been yeah. a few, especially when his ex-wife is in it. Right. But this is the entire issue, and it's crazy. And it's... It, 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 it's, a, it's a mad, twisted, like, invention of a comic, because he really gets to kind of I don't know. Would you say he's burying his soul? He seems to do it with knowledge and, and deafness. So it's not yeah. really burying his soul. But on the other hand, he, he, he goes through uh, Rob, who's the main character. This is Bob Fingerman, our creator, by the way. Uh, he goes through Rob, his protagonist, and all his friends and go to like different – they go through hell and they meet each other and he's on a quest – and it's it's self-absorbing in their relationships with one another. And it works, I think, if you're a, a regular reader of the series because everything makes linear yes. sense. Uh, it wouldn't be the best place for a newbie. It'd be to a, such a bad place to jump on because it sort of is a... It's, it's Fingerman celebrating the comic in a way. It's saying, hey, check this out. This is what we can talk about. You know, right, like, he's summing up too. He, yeah, he's, he's summing up. He's like, you guys are going to get this. You're going to get all these chicks because that's what the right. comic's about is the crazy all chicks the that, that, in this Bob, what, that Rob ends up with. Yeah. Well, right. That's uh, for, for those who've never read the book, uh, Rob is a cartoonist who does both 
porn comics and straight comics and, and indie comics because that's kind of what Bob Fingerman did. And he he just balances his love life between all these, like, say, three or four women that have been in there in this current series that he's had the opportunity to be intimate with and, and exchange things in a Seinfeld-type manner sometimes. Um, but Fingerman is a, a master of people sitting there talking to each other in an honest tone in some ways yes. or it, it, talking in metaphors and stuff. And his cartooning skills have just elevated to the next level. But and it's really on display here in this book, which I'd love to recommend. But obviously, if you've never read Bob Fingerman before, I don't think this is a blessed place to start. But uh, just the is is it Baron? You know, I looked him up on Wikipedia just for a joke. You know, mm-hmm. his life—I don't know if his life parallels what he's dictating, but a lot of certain elements of it do. And then the introduction of the comedian, who's a friend slash associate. Gives me a think that this is definitely his life on 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 display here. So what I got to really ask is, did he really run into that children's television host with the puppet one day? <laughs> that story was possibly a, one of the most humorous comics that made me cry when I read it. But um, so many bad decisions just has so much to recommend it, and you know, like you shouldn't read it anyway. I mean, just, just for the hell of it. I, I see nobody not read this comic because it's just too damn good. Uh, we'll talk about Bob Fingerman later on in the uh, last uh, segment, yes. too. Yes, right. But next, Vernon's going to talk about Dark Corridor 1, which is a comic he told me to read and I have not read. Oh, man, Andrew, you're just such a bad boy. I'm going to have to spank you right here. Anyway, uh, Dark Corridor. Rich Tommaso, anybody who's uh, really familiar with the indie scene, fan of graphics, yada, yada, knows who Rich Tommaso is. He's done some successful and some less successful comics to me involving different types of themes. But underneath it all, he's always had this thing for noir and 50s-style stuff. And he's decided to go the image route uh, with Dark Corridor, uh, of which he has a lengthy lead story. And a short, like, six-pager or four-pager in the back, which is pretty pretty decent to read as well. Don't skip it. And he, you know, kind of succeeds. This is the first time in a while I've seen him work with color. And he deals with uh, kind of 50s noir criminals who are, have a ultimate plot between one another that's going to work out one way or another. And, uh, you know, it's probably some of the more mature work I've ever seen him do. Uh, I've seen him some of his stuff that didn't really swing me at all. But Dark Corridor was a pretty good book. Uh, it looks good. It's got uh, good design, good color. I'm trying to think if he did everything. Let me look at the credits here. <laughs> Son of a bitch, he's got it all. Written and illustrated by Rich Tommaso, so he did it all. So I'm going to assume this is a mini series of sorts. And uh, with the first issue, if he can keep up the kind of energy, momentum, and character development. And he's got this weird stylized drawing style. It looks like something out of Dick Tracy in a way. And... Everyone has like a distorted look. If you look within the pen lines and everything, it's it's more of a symbol type of drawing style than it is an actual realistic type of cartooning. But uh, there are panels in it that are just really, really disturbing and fun to look at. And I have to recommend Dark Quarter One as a uh, a good uh, good good choice if you're just out there looking for something new to read. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Now I gotta talk again. Wait a second. You gotta talk again about this Where's damn band. Wait a second. Yeah, man. we messed up. We messed up the talking order. Mm. Providence threw us off. Plus it, the fact plus that we moved. I, we moved. We, we moved, moved things. Yeah. We moved things. We're always moving things, son of a bitch. Anyway, 
I get another one. This is a Dark Horse book called This Damn Band. Uh, English expatriate Paul Cornell, who's done some kind of witty, sharp, good stuff for Marvel. Oh, oh somebody's breathing heavily over there. What didn't you like? I'm not saying he's the, the greatest thing since uh, Swiss cheese or anything like that, but he can write a script. He did good. What was that? What was it was the one I liked. Uh, uh, the one about the mutant guy. What the fuck was his name? I don't know. One of the X-Men. He did a good job on that. I thought it was pretty good. And then uh, he did a good Captain Britain, too. But anyway, this damn band is a miniseries from Dark Horse that he uh, wrote in. God, the covers are impossible. They're they're cool to look at, but they're impossible. Tony Parker is probably another Englishman because he exhibits a level of craft that I don't attribute to American artists. But because he changes the style like midway through when these guys go on a drug trip together and he successfully... Flows right through it and everything. And the premise of the book is uh, like one of them 70s glam bands, you know, uh, or whatever it is. And uh, they have like a successful following and they've been going on for years, half a dozen albums. What would happen if one day they discovered they really were worshipping Satan and owed him the due? And I thought this was a nice light subject matter for a miniseries, so I jumped on board. And uh, both contributors, uh, they went to bat and they did what they had to do. And it was a nice, uh, good, breezy, well-executed read. And if you're into that kind of stuff, I highly recommend it. Much better than Batman, baby. Anyway, I'm going to I'm gonna leave this one to you because you need to talk for a while. <laughs> and if anybody's this- wondering why I don't like Paul Cornell, it's because he wrote Demon Knights Demon for the Knights. New 52. Demonites. Who are demonites? Was that that occult thing? I yeah. Uh, you know, people got to do more. Well, okay, okay, all right. Anyway, so now we're going to talk about and eh, shit, man. They eh, probably they probably eh. poked it with a fork, skewered it, and threw it on the. Oh, grill. okay. <clears throat> so we're going to talk about the fiction number three by uh, Kurt Piers and what's the name of the artist? David Rubin. David Rubin. So the fiction is. Um, how would we describe this? It's hot tub time machine meets the unwritten, right? It's there's it definitely this, unwritten. Yeah. There's this literary world out there inside of books and these people who went there as preteens or young adults are going back as adults. It's kind of like it too, really. Um, The first couple issues have been pretty good. This issue, which introduces the villain, uh, you know. Maybe, sort of, kind of. Kind of, sort of. The villains. It it feels too much like the unwritten. How about that? It feels too much. It feels too um, regurgitated. Um. And it only goes four issues, which means that there's only one more, which is another problem with it. But Piers got started at Boom doing that pop book, which was very out there at the beginning and then got pretty traditional by the end. And the same thing seems to be happening here, um, which is too bad because I was excited about the first couple issues. Yeah, the first couple issues were really outstanding. Yeah. Uh, showed a lot of possibilities and potential. And, and and when you get to three, it's kind of like he's running in mud. He's really not doing anything new. He's not advancing the series. They're, the the ideas aren't like building to any kind of conclusion. 
And the villain kind of takes over all these special effects scenes for what most of the issue or whatever it is in a threatening form, but it doesn't advance the plot at all. So, no, none at all. And I just said, man, this thing's got one more issue. And you can't help it that you can't help in the back of your throat think this is going to be a disappointment, even though yep. I had such hopes after two issues. Now you're going to talk about Airboy 3 because I didn't read it. You didn't read well. Airboy one and two, we we we've been over because James Robinson obviously had a need to like write one of these tell-all books about his own personal life and its interpersonal relationship with superheroes. It continues on to some degree, but in the third issue of Airboy, he has a full interaction. I think more so with the characters. Like the characters go back in time, they go back to Airboy's era. They meet his friends. They live among them. They meet his girlfriend, who has some real free sex issues, which are pretty hilarious. And, uh, again, this is one of those books where I'm just dying to see what the payoff is. It's only got one more to go. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Like, I don't know if I'm being sucked along into a concept that's a fun roller coaster ride, you know, and I'm waiting for the payoff, or whether I'm actually going to be rewarded for something. Like, in some ways, I'm not saying the big man plans was like that, but after three issues, you knew that fourth either had to have the payoff or you were going to be horribly deflated, you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, Airboy did it. It was good. Hinkle the cartoonist is good. You know, it gets a solid buy on me, much better than Brave and the Bold and Batman and shit. <laughs> okay, so next we're going to talk about the Spire, which is also from Boom. Uh, Airboy is from Dark Horse or Image? Airboy is from Image. Image, <laughs> they get you. They let you get bankrupt on your dime. <laughs> but uh, the Spire is from Boom. It's uh, Simon Spurrier, Jeff Stokely, the guys who did Six Gun Gorilla. Talking yeah. about the last issue, it's it's a cool book. We're going to talk about um, ArcLight in a bit, but the Spire is a cool book. It's uh, what, what do I say here? It's it's organic steampunk and sci-fi and detective and political intrigue and a western. Lots There's a of lot stuff. of things at once, and, you know, it's it's cool because Stokely can handle that. You know, Stokely, if they ever did get around to doing another series of profits, Stokely might be an artist they want to bring into it because he gets how to mix things together. He gets how to make something really gross, like, you know, in order to eat Somebody has to, like, pull out an, a giant ant's intestine and suck on it. Profit can sell you on that, right? Like, it can make <laughs> that tolerable. Many the times. Spire right? can, too. Like, that's kind of the thing about Stokely, I've noticed, is, is he, he's able to, to handle the outrageous and make it acceptable. Very true. I have to agree with you on that. The Spire is certainly a hypnotic read, because uh, uh, although the second issue didn't quite pat the uh, overall impression of the first for me it just stokely's art and just everything that's going on you just get caught up in the entire drama and you don't you, you, a book that captures you like this and just takes you on a ride and doesn't let you uh, stop or question anything is just really nice to behold and the spider kind of really it's the spider just does a great as what is it? it's like a mystery i guess kind of a yeah. 
Yeah, if I had to phrase it or something like that. But it's it's done in a pseudo science fiction, like Andrew said, uh, steampunky type like manner, you know. But better than steampunk. Steampunk is a limiting phrase. It has flavors of steampunk, but it's beyond that. This, this Vernon and I have been talking about the the boom of sci-fi in indie comics, and when something like the Spire hits, which says. Let's go past sci-fi. Let's go past fantasy, and let's see what's out there. It's really cool. We're we're getting to see in indie series. We're getting to see potential that you only used to get to see in like anthology horror sci-fi comics in the six seventies and eighties for a second, but they weren't full series. They weren't able to get two comics out of this. Not even dark horse presents was able to run full series of crazy stuff. They sometimes were able to do a couple issues of it, but nothing this sustained. This is like if, um, Oh God! What was that series that Dark Horse always did that I hated? All right, um, which no, one would no, that be? No, 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 Dark Horse presents. Oh shut up! Uh, Dark Horse presents the two girls in the fantasy world. Remember that? Oh, or, yeah, 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 yeah. They were like twins or clones or something. Or something. Like that. They were dinosaurs, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like if that was good. Anyway, so moving on. <laughs> moving on to something that shouldn't be good, but is awesome. Yep, that's what Kaiju it is. Kaiju Max. You know, it 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 it, it really it, it every 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 kind of comic just takes you and bowls you over. That's the good thing about good comics, and Kaiju Max just sweeps you up into its melodrama. Now, uh, as Andrew has stated on his blog, he was very succinct about it, like the entire thing becoming a little too hyper realistic, perhaps. We're talking uh, about issue number five here, everyone. The latest one, yeah. yeah that uh, <clears throat> what's the name? Xander Canyon's little mini masterpiece about Japanese. Uh, monsters being confined to an imprisoned island where Ultraman type uh, overlords and wardens and prison guards who have their own issues keep them in check. And it's a big soap opera. Let's let's not be kids about this. It's a big soap opera. Although it has a lot of adult overtones. It's drawn yes. in a cartoon style, yet it's very serious and adult. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Uh, this issue, you know... I I, I I dug the first issue. Like I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And the, I think some of the problem is, is I, I first read Xander can cannon, right? Cannon yeah, on uh top 10. Yes. That is not his traditional style. Like when he does other stuff, he's far more cartoony on top 10. He was very, it might've been him. It might've been the anchor, but they went for sort of a hyper realism on the regular series in a lot of ways. Right. Well, Gene Ha was the uh, artist. Then so, did Xander Canyon Cannon ink it? What the hell did he, he do on top ten? Didn't he do something on top ten? He probably did maybe perhaps layouts or work with the script. Well he did the art for he did the art for the second for S Max. He did all the art for oh, S-Max. Smax was, Smax was his. Smax was his. So I guess on top ten he must have inked Gene Ha adding sort of the... Um, I don't know. You'd have to look at it. But I, think have to, was, uh, I think he did layouts for Gene Ha to draw over. Okay, so anyway. 
so the first issue I wasn't, you know, as gung-ho about. But then, like, I read two, three, and four. Boom, boom, boom. And they're just great. And so, they, yeah, and I mean, so five is a little bit of a letdown because, I don't know, like. Well, the, everything builds to a climax and it hits and it's it doesn't hit good. No. <laughs> it just is. Yeah, every, there, you know, there's this incident between two prisoners and a, and a guard getting involved and it's like that shouldn't have happened yet it was too rushed it happened this issue instead of next so there wasn't any like real build-up to it and then the whole thing with so here's the thing about this comic is that i i don't know how it would read to you if the only monster it has a real target audience of of people over the age of 30 because you have to be familiar with the goofy Godzilla movies of the seventies. You have to be familiar with Gamera. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because there's this huge reference, not just to the, the broad concepts, but to specific movies, you know, specific Godzilla movies. And it's weird. Like Kaiju Max feels like you're watching Saturday afternoon TV as a, 10 year old right like it should it looks like that it looks like you're watching ultraman but then it, it it's actually oz right it's, and it's, right it's adult and serious yeah <laughs> it, it's on hbo everyone and they're and trying I, to prove something i i don't know how i felt when i saw electrogorg cry yeah it's off. so rough <laughs> and we don't know what happened to his kids but so i get you know it's a problematic issue but it's not gonna lose anybody <laughs> and i saw actually some of the response to it was this is you know all these guys on twitter saying it's their favorite issue Ooh, the other stick pops i'm sorry to say well i mean that, 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 that <laughs> whatever but but still i mean it's not gonna lose enthusiasm there is enthusiasm for this book which is really cool Oh, I anticipate as a retailer selling many dozens of copies. <laughs> <laughs> Next, Vernon's going to talk about Hip Hop Family Tree, which I didn't. I didn't read. You didn't read? Well, you know what? I didn't suggest it because it's a dense motherfucker. Uh, Hip Hop Family Tree has been published in three volumes so far: hardcovers, trade paperbacks, maybe I don't know. From Fanographics and the amazing uh, creator of these books, Ed Piskor, has virtually recreated the history of hip-hop in a 70s Marvel Comics format, down to the fact that, I don't know if Andrew can see this right now, but it's got, like, orange paper from age <laughs> and everything, and the whole Marvel House style with the lettering and everything is in here, and this is the shits if you want to learn about uh, hip-hop music's uh, uh, beginnings, because Ed Pisker is a virtual technician of the history of hip-hop for comic books and loves comic books and here i don't know if you can can you see this this yeah. of a, oh it's <laughs> and ed pisker follows it through with every line and doesn't waste time and these are dense little pieces of history every six or eight pages is probably going to take you a good 15 20 minutes to read through because there's so much history that you're involved with and all these personalities and uh it's a great and, and what's good is they, they published it as like this little uh, pamphlet, like, what is it, three ninety nine? Yeah, worth every cent because there's no ads. Dig that, Marvel and DC motherfuckers. Anyway, it, it is stock full of hip-hop family tree history, and it's just like 30 pages of it. And you can digest that because the books right. can be overwhelming to the average person. So 
If you have any interest in the history of hip-hop, this is a great way to eat it and digest it. I, I shit you not, Pilgrims. Right. Next up, we're going to talk about Arclight, which is Eight House Arclight. Now, so Eight House is the anthology title. Arclight is the series title written by Brandon Graham, drawn by Marion Churchland. Uh, it reminds, I guess, of the Spire a little bit in just like it has... Well, it doesn't actually have a female protagonist, but maybe we thought it did. That that could change next issue. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's Brandon Graham of uh, Profit and a lot of other things doing a very... So it's got sci-fi magic, but it's sort of a gothic... You know, novel of, of wastelands and romance and kings and queens. And it's awesome. I mean, it's a really cool book. And you can tell that Churchland is not regularly on comic books. Or at least not in the 32 or 24 to 32 page a month comic books. And it's like Graham trying to get her, maybe? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, it, it, it seems like Graham is trying to work with her to bring out her strengths. Yeah. Because they, they fully convince you of this world. They're yeah. There's no way around that. I mean, it's really good. And it's getting for, for profit fans, it has this sort of. <sighs> this should be really gross, but you're totally okay with it vibed quite a few of the details it's like if you weren't going to smoke weed but you just wanted to read a comic book it'd be the same there thing. you go because <laughs> it just transpires you to this other world and it works and it's so convincing in its uh depiction of everything and these characters that you're like 80 percent sure of their gender but you're not quite sure of their gender is kind of really weirdly mystifying and but it's never off-putting you know, that's, right. that's what I say is interesting to someone of my own age being over half a century old, uh, Andrew notwithstanding. Uh, I I liked it, and I just, like, got carried away, and I'm like, I wish this book series went on forever. And I just <laughs> a month, and I would buy it and shut up and just go home and read it. You know? <laughs> my it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad when it's done because we're not going to get to see Marilyn, Mary and Churchland do stuff. And it's very cool to see this. And we're going to talk about this in a bit with... Um... Let, me, let me tell you, these, how much did this fucker cost? If this is two ninety nine, I'm going to puke. It was two ninety nine. okay? So that, that puts it on line with DC's Convergence series. And if you had, like, two of these at two ninety nine each versus any piece <laughs> it almost seems like a laugh. It's a, it's a pathetic fucking laugh. It really fucking is. I'm sorry. I was thinking of that. I'm like, what a value. It's like uh, everything versus something that's worth nothing. Unbelievable. All right. So next, Vernon's going to talk about beauty. Number one. I don't know what I, that is. What is that? No, 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 no. We, I, I, we, do see, we have the island. island the island get? is after beauty, isn't it? Now I pushed it up because it's Brandon Graham. Uh, but that's all right. That's Why? fine. But uh, I forgot to notify you. You didn't list. notify me. So the island is Brandon Graham's other anthology, which is 
But it's three, really more of an anthology. It's more of an anthology because it's three features, some... Um, Kids think heavy metal magazine. One shot typey things uh, with other people. But yeah, so the island, it's... This issue has, let's see, it's got the terrible graffiti thing again. Yeah, uh, well, we'll talk about that later with uh, Indie Fails. But it's got Simon Roy, who worked with um, Brandon Graham on... Profit. Profit, and he's doing this story, and initially it seems like it's not going to be that great, but then it's pretty cool and you're just reading and you're like is it going to connect because it's never <laughs> sure with profit you're never sure if it works because of simon roy or because of brandon graham or because the combination so this might be my first simon roy writing to see if like he really can bring this one home but it's got uh, think logan's runny type soylent green but with Post, whatever dystopian plant shit going on. It's good. It's a good <laughs> little story. Um, it said one of three, so you've got three. Two I've more got chapters. Uh, yeah. He's got two more chapters to to, the, to try the, and do this. The island is certainly a uh, what do you call that addictive anthology. Uh, and how much is it? It's is it four ninety nine? No, 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 no. It's seven ninety nine. So. Okay. Okay. It's very thick. I think it comes in at what eighty pages, maybe. Okay, because yeah, you do get three features basically. Um, yeah, it's over a hundred pages now that I say this. Excuse me. <laughs> What's well, yeah. not bad for seven ninety nine? Actually, hey, you know, DC and Marvel can't beat that with a stick, motherfucker. I tell you. Uh, but Island, I didn't get to read. I flipped through two. Um, you and I have reservations about it, which we can talk. I'm going to mention them on Indie Fails later. But okay. uh, you, you can't deny like the sheer momentum of Brandon Graham's uh, anthology. He, he fathers this. I don't think he has a little bit artistically to do with it, but he's bringing on the work of his friends, I think, mm-hmm. more than anything here. Uh, He's given Emma Rio something really cool to do artistically, even if the story's not there, when she's not – because Pretty Deadly's on hiatus. Right. Well, they have solicited a new series for November. Sure they have. Whatever. Oh, no. It's in the previews. Okay. All right. Uh, But, you know, we need things like that. Island is a necessary publication to put aboard – comic projects that should be printed but may not be commercially feasible i guess maybe i don't know yeah and it does not have the sort of clear commercialism of a dark horse presents where it's just like this we're going to collect into a zero issue if you guys like it enough that we can do a limited series which is fine because that 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 results in something like resident alien but it's also it also feels desperate like uh, we didn't really do indie comics for 15 years because we had the star wars license we just lost it just as image picked up a ton of momentum so bear with us while we you know guilt frank miller into drawing something for us well, at DC paid him more money. I hear that they're going to do a uh, Batman Dark Knight 3 now. With oh, hey, man, old... that's supposed to save the company. Uh, okay. 
I'll See, leave that. Vernon one, so. doesn't even read the crap I post to Comics Gallery's Facebook page, everybody. Uh, All right, so now we're going to talk about beauty. Yeah, you didn't read that one, did you? I don't even know what it is. All right, beauty, beauty. Oh, okay, I'm going to put you, you, Jeremy Hahn. You might know him. He's oh, like, Jeremy Hahn. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like Jay Farber. Who's the other guy? Uh, there's there's a lot of creators who've been hanging around the indie indie spectrum for shit dozen years, maybe less. I don't know. Long time. Jeremy Hahn is not no stranger to comics. Uh, he came up. He wrote and drew uh, Beauty. I think let's let's verify that before I embarrass myself greatly. Uh, he wrote and drew it with Jason Hurley helping him out on the story. Um, this is kind of a uh, so far well executed story. Um, about a uh, sexually tra- sexually transmitted disease that actually causes its uh, you to be beautiful. That's okay. why it's beauty. It has its backgrounds, but essentially, like it's a desired STD, and half the population of uh, United States, I think, has it now. And it's enough for the uninfected half to stay away from it, right? And this is a police procedural book about what happens when one of the beauties like self emoliates on the subway one day and they discover that there's a side effect they don't know about to this beauty syndrome. And uh, if, if, if that interests you, this is really nicely executed. Again, I say that word executed a lot. I mean, they're not necessarily breakthrough comics, but they're just well done enough that I'm convinced of everything going on and the dialogue of the characters and the movement and the dynamics of it are well done that I can recommend it. It was, it's really a fun, fun book on that thing. And it was just well done to the point where it's nice to see Jeremy Hahn get a hit. We'll see what they go with issue two anyway. Well, let's not forget that, uh, Jeremy Hahn did battle him, uh, and oh, yeah. that is a terrible comic book, everyone. That it has some really good bad. art. Good art. Um, so, yeah, Jeremy Hunt. Did he write that mess? No, that was, I don't, I'll look it up. Hold on. Um, but he did Leading Man for Oni, which I think we liked um, when it came out, at least the art anyway. And uh, we've been waiting for him to hit for a while. No, no, no. Battle Him was written by B. Clay Moore. Remember there him? There you go. Another one, right? Yeah. He was, him and Jay Farber were kind of... They were to sorted together, yeah. yeah. There's a difference, though. Um, okay, so next up we have Letter 4419. I didn't read that one, so I'm curious about your reaction. You didn't read Letter 4419? You know what? I sold out of it. I'm waiting for my new copies, I'm sorry to say. So please go right ahead. Um... I think it was with 17 I said that Letter 44 had sort of descended to the point of being amusing without really being artistically rewarding. How about that? Yeah, I was going to say consequential, but that's okay, too. Yeah, it's not. It's definitely not a consequential comic. Uh, we've sort of embraced that uh, in in nineties Vertigo terms. This is the trade you probably wouldn't buy, even if you did buy. If you read it in floppies and you bought the first trade because you like the comic so much, this is the one you just let sit. You know, it's just like it's not that smart anymore. It's you can tell we've been talking about how Sule has been busy with other things and you can see it and it's his indie book that's suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. not the paycheck book. Um, it, 
I'm still reading letter 44. I just am not excited about it anymore. Right, right. Because we're hooked at this point. But you're right. It's like I I, I didn't get like the new one. I'm like, okay, it'll come in with the replacements and I'll get it then. And you're right. There was nothing that that made me want to get up and howl at the new issue. And I'm like – it's too bad he's making money at Marvel or whatever because he's kind of let this lie follow. <laughs> he's lost his he's lost his passion. Right. There's no <sighs> is on your recent blog post you mentioned I think it was like three different dynamic directives or something he had on there and I was like okay well I'm I'm curious about it now but we'll see and that's too bad because in what three to four issues he took that book from kind of an A lister to a C lister. It really yeah, dropped. He really did, and he was an A. He made it an A list book with some really weak art. I mean, right? I mean, he took he, he took a D and a not quite ready for primetime artist, and probably showed him what it like to work for a living. That's for damn sure. Yeah, yeah. Next, we're going to talk about a book that we do rush to read, or at least I still do. Lazarus. Always the, it's always on the top of the stack here. I mean, it's just so damn good. This is a comic. I don't even think you read the first six issues, did you? Uh, I caught up. Okay. Uh, it's a comic where I didn't like the first arc, which might have been four. I can't remember if he's doing six issue stories. He might be only doing four. Because I feel like we've moved along quite a bit, which is cool because it's nice to read a book and to really feel like you have an investment in the characters. And you don't always get that by issue 18 on a on an indie book like Letter 44 is on 19 and we've lost investment with characters because Sule just doesn't have time to do characters right. anymore. He doesn't have time to do huge subplots. You know, he just drops them. Like he had to recast a role on a TV show. Um, but Lazarus, you are invested by issue 18. You're very invested and it's just, it's really cool. Um, well, Michael Art does a lot for that. That's for David. He does. Um, it's, you know, Lark, what? Okay, so we had Gotham Central. Then, is that after that that Marvel signed him? Ugh. Didn't put him on Daredevil for a couple years. Right. Even that couldn't make Brubaker's Daredevil something I hunted down after the second arc. Um, and the first arc did not read well the second time through. And so... Then they put him on. I remember he did prelude to one of the big crossovers when I don't know something with the <laughs> Illuminati or Asgard on Earth. He did the yeah, art for that, uh, yeah, and it's yeah, one, was it, would that been Hickman's uh, or Frack? No, I think Bendis at least wrote that for for Lark, and so you know it's like you're like okay, it's good. He's 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 got the health insurance, right? But Marvel didn't give him crap to do. Well, his style is not Marvel. And style. you've been you said that when they signed him, you were just like, why does he what get the a news there? <laughs> He's getting a check, but where the fuck is he going to draw at? And I assume he was drawn for somebody else, not in comics or something, because then he comes back with Lazarus. He's still got this very... I mean, the thing about Lark is... The reason Lark is so exciting... Um... I get... 
Lark has a realism to it that accentuates the idea of the realism, right? It's like, it it was so exciting reading Gotham Central and seeing him draw Batman for two panels or seeing him draw the Joker, that issue where the Joker got arrested. And he brings that level of... He's still able to make Lazarus exciting, even though Lazarus is a post-apocalyptic Hunger Games, I'm guessing, type visual setting. Like, he's not doing anything amazing in terms of the setting, but his his rendering of the action in that setting is still amazing. I mean, he, he can make a, an action scene or a ballroom dance just as dramatically potent. And I mean, I feel like Lark took five years off and then he came back with Lazarus. Yeah, Lazarus is a, a beauty. It's really a... Uh... And let's not even get into how good it is on terms of Greg Rucka's writing because... <laughs> That's the thing. Greg Rucka has always been like, he's always been like your favorite B-list writer. You know what I mean? He's never really hit the uh, aesthetic edginess of Grant Morrison or Warren Ellis or anything right. like but just to, you look at him and you say, "Wow, he brought he brings it to the table with Lazarus." He and does, Andrew. And I never thought the series is going anywhere. Like, is this a miniseries? It's kind of strange. I don't know. I, if I, can handle I mean, okay. So I love the first Whiteout that Rucka did. Right, the right. first series, not the second series, but I love the first series of Whiteout. And I've been buying Rucka for years. I used to buy Rucka from you ten years ago. And you just be like, here, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> and he's to... finally going to pay off. But he didn't at the beginning of Lazarus. The first the first four. You know, like, well, even you said it yourself. You you mentioned a Hunger Gamesy type thing. And I'm like, well, yeah, it, it, it exists in this dystopian world where, like, clans own the world. And the wealthiest families rule their turf. And they're all against one another, either overtly or covertly. And uh, it's very Hungser game-ish, I guess you'd say. But, you know, it's convincing. It's more interesting. Forever is much more interesting than any protagonist on, what, 90% of the comics today. Yeah. Yeah, and all the things. Yeah. He does a really slick thing where he doesn't give you too much of the protagonist. It's a really nice balance to it. It's just really good stuff. Yeah, it's it's flawless. It reads almost like if Saturday or Sunday cartoon strips like Flash Gordon and them had advanced to our level and just kept going, because Greg Lark just makes it convincing. Rucka invents the whole situation perfectly. It really works. It's good stuff. Yeah, it doesn't go down any better than that. Well, next we're going to cover uh, some Brian Wood on a title called Rebels, and I won't make. Ru- Andrew Reed, uh, Brian Wood, under any circumstances, I can understand that. Uh, I'm a sucker for historical fiction, though. And uh, <laughs> Andrew is nice enough to, to try a couple issues, though there were some logical flubs, uh, which we can't go into here. And uh, you know what? You I, can I'm go Andrew. back and listen to him in the old episode. Right. Well, anyway, uh, I'm going to say, what is we up to issue five? And him and uh, Andrea Muti, they seem to have gotten back on trap eschewing the soap opera elements for a couple issues mm. to the historical uh, historical narrative, which I find fine. Uh, it's not what you'd call outstanding comics work, but it is 
uh, temperate, and uh, they do like to bring in the facts about like Revolutionary War and soldiers, which I'm into. And uh, they weave it into a narrative that uh, veered dangerously close to abstraction on issue three, um, but since then got its toehold. And if they keep it about war, I'm on board. But when they go into anything with the wife and stuff, I think I'll, I'll think I'll just vomit in the corner. What time is it, Vernon? What time is it? Sorry. Wait. Let me look at my watch. Anyway. Anyway, Rebels 5, back on track. We're in the historical narrative. Not a problem. Moving on. Velvet 11. We're going to go for some... Vernon is Brian Wood sympathies. It's as bad as, what, your Keith Giffen, Cosmic Keith Giffen. I'm not <laughs> He's blushing, everyone, by the way, on the video you can't see. He's blushing. Okay, so we're going to talk about Velvet uh, number 11, which I guess is the first Velvet in quite a few months. Um, we we wondered if Steve Epting had died or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the thing with Steve Epting is, is man, that guy put so much work into it that. It's 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 just a piece of like if you don't have skills to approach this level, don't bother. <laughs> so I start my post about Velvet Eleven saying it's my favorite issue of Velvet in a long time, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, um, because it's the only one that came out. <laughs> well, it's about th- that, but I mean, it's uh, Velvet hits the states. It feels like a Marvel seventies black and white, but in color. It's just, it's awesome, right? It's right, if right. Velvet. It reminds, had, it reminds you of those two on Captain America a few years. Right, ago. it reminds you of. It gives you that. Brubaker has a way, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. Um, and we'll talk about why we're talking about it a little bit, but. <laughs> Brubaker has this way of going, okay, I'm going to do this retro comic that you and I have read, right? We read this 70s Captain America comic, and I'm not going to directly reference it or anything like that. There's no editor's note. See, Captain America uh, 192 or something. Yet, you're just going to feel like, wow. It feels just like the old God. It feels like the, it's this way of a sort of mm, grown-up enthusiasm for childish pleasures. And it's Mm. just really cool. And it's it's not something Brubaker does on uh, any of his other current books. And it's weird to see him do it on Velvet, and it must be something he does with Epting. It just must be this connection they have, because they're really not... You know, Epting, what, he was an action Marvel artist before he did Captain America. And Captain America's an action comic under Brubaker, but it's also a very um, suspense-filled comic. Right, it's reserved. Yeah. Velvet kicks ass, though, because yep. Uh, yep, it's, it it's a flawless spy saga with the protagonist who's a, uh, what, 38-ish uh, secret agent, maybe? Is that what I'm getting right here, maybe, or am I wrong? Uh, uh, but- we'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see when they sign the movie deal, because they've got to. I mean, that's the other thing about Brubaker that you feel kind of bad about. When you see all these Mark Miller movies coming out, right? Uh- and Brubaker just can't do it. It's just like, you know, oh, think, 
Grant Morrison too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, all right. Uh, what was it? Pixar was going to make Wii three as their first adult movie or something. And then they didn't. And then, but it's like Brubaker. It's like one morning Tom Cruise wakes up and he's like, man, I really love sleeper. Yeah. That was, yeah. that was like 10 years ago. Like there's still no sleeper. And right. It's just Mark he's, Miller. He's the bridesmaid, never the bride. Exactly. Course. But Velvet is 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 hitting a stride that it's it's still going. It's getting better. It's I'm just hoping that they don't go. Oh, we only ever wanted to do four fourteen of them. We're done. Right, right, right. If, if that's fine, if they can get that arc done, we're good. We're good. Let's I'm not it. good with it ending yet. I need I need more. I Brubaker already cut something down with fatal and it felt artificial i want a nice 30 issue brubaker comic i miss a good 30 issue brubaker comic i think we could get well maybe we can get that with fade out we'll see oh i don't think so i think fade out's a lot more structured i bet fade out's gonna go to 16 huh interesting and maybe a second season a la satellite sam Okay, fair enough. Okay, but next we're going to talk about... Oh, you're going to talk about Sons of Anarchy 23. I'm not going to talk about Sons of Anarchy 23. What do you mean you're not going to talk about Sons of Anarchy 23? You put it on the list. Didn't I edit it out? Shit. Man, I've been too busy. Okay, Um, Sons of Anarchy 23. I actually read this. Okay. Thank Um, you. So okay, so oh, this is the one where <laughs> one of our uh, one of your customers and one of my readers and one of our listeners called me out on the fact that we All finally, three. yep, we finally hit the point where Sons of Anarchy uh, has enough reference to the TV show that if you aren't aware of it, you're gonna get you're not gonna read the comic right. Right. Um, so anyway, that we'll just say that I don't. I don't want to talk about Sons of Anarchy twenty three because next we're going to talk about Copperhead. Okay, and let's we go still love Copperhead. So let's talk about Copperhead. <laughs> Incidentally, Ryan Ferrer, the guy who's finishing off yeah. Sons of Anarchy, just ain't happening. And 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 this is one of Andrew and our favorite comics, and we're really sorry. Oh, to see the it. first. What was it? So the first six. By Christopher Golden are like they're fine. really good comic. Yeah, right. They're Perfect. fine on the edge of being good. Fraction's first Iron Man trade, right? But then you got into this Ed Brisson era of the book, and it's just great. It's just twelve great, ten, eight, whatever the hell it is. It's great. It's two arcs, I think, and maybe like and, one and, villain and that, story, and it's great. Right, great stuff, great comics, and I never saw the. TV show, and you didn't either. Yeah, I haven't either. And then Ryan Farrar took over, and the damn thing's getting canceled six issues later. I wonder why. But anyway. Yeah. Oops. <clears throat> Oops. Anyway, under Copper. Under- Copperhead. So Copperhead, earlier we said that uh, the Spire is organic, steampunk, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic western. Well, Copperhead is a sci-fi western. That's all yeah. it is. Yep. That's it. But it's a lot of sci-fi in a it's, Western. It's like Leone sci-fi Western in some ways. It's just awesome. 
This issue was awesome. And it came out a long time ago. It came out about a month ago, which means there might be a next a new Copperhead in the next couple of weeks. Or too I long. Hope. I hope so, yeah. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Jay Faber, who Vernon mentioned earlier... He's one of them indie guys that just kind of jumped into the A-listers right now. He did, and we don't know why. Because there's, like, no evidence that this was ever coming. Like, we just read Copperhead number one because it was an image number one comic, and we were just going to read it. Yeah, exactly. And instead, it's it's so good. It's just... you live for the next issue of Copperhead. It's so Copperhead. Funny. Copperhead is yeah, Copperhead, everyone. Copperhead. Don't tell our wives we've got an addiction to Copperhead comics. But they're good stuff. Anyway, <sighs> you're gonna get no, I'm gonna get the next one. You're gonna um, get the next one. Yeah, I'm gonna get the next one. Yeah, because I read Casanova. You do. Fraction, uh, one of our favorite writers around here, and he has his little side project, Casanova, which appears irregularly. Uh, Fabio Moon, one of the infamous brothers, gets to draw it, and the current series is called Acedia. Now, this is not for your casual comics fan. If you do not <laughs> have the credentials of reading sophisticated, multi-layered, trans-dimensional, back and forth, here and there in time. In other words, if you don't even if you can't read Hernandez Brothers, then just <laughs> off now, because Casanova does not reward. The casual reader. It is a collection of characters in different stories that exist in multiple realities simultaneously. And the uh, Fabio Moon and what's his name, Gabriel Ba's brother, have uh, mm. both drawn all these tales so far, and they result in some really interesting tombs. If you're into like a multi-dimensional James Bond character who has family issues, who go from the good and the bad characters and back. And both again, and lovers that'll stab you and make love to you simultaneously. It's it's kind of like one of those weird books, but it works for those of us who are involved with such things. I guess you'd say it's not for <laughs> you know. I can't go out there and say, "Hey, Mildred, come over here and read an issue of Casanova," because it ain't happening. You know. Now, the only reason I haven't read Casanova is because I haven't read it since the first three issues. Seven little, years ago, and it's just it ninety nine comics. It's been a while, right? So I just haven't had time to get to it because the glut of comics worth reading in the last eight years is actually. Um, gee, remember when Jeff Parker was worth reading? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's we could get some Jeff Parker from Marvel for Christ's sake. Yeah. Right? Remember when Agents of Atlas was the best? Ca- anyway, so <laughs> the old days, everyone, before Disney. Um, well, actually, before the movies, right? But anyway, why can't they do Agents of Atlas as a movie? Come on, it'd be awesome. Oh, uh, you know, something to save that moment because I'm going to talk to you. We don't have a media section tonight, but I think we'll finish up with uh, a couple of media bites and save okay. that. I- All right. So I'm going to talk about Cluster real quick. When did you fall off Cluster? I didn't read the last issue. I know you didn't. So you read the fifth issue. You did read the fifth issue, the July issue. No. Nope. Vernon read the fourth issue? Right, before the bionic arm and return from the dead stuff or whatever. I don't know. 
Okay, so here's the thing. We were looking forward to Cluster because it's Ed Brisson. Vernon likes Ed Brisson's writing, uh, but he doesn't stick with it. Just like I don't stick with it. To watch a mini podcast back, but you're right. Yeah, sheltered. We were excited about it, and then you know we just sort of. He's suffering from Brian Woodism. He's not pushing his pencil far enough. So, Cluster, and of course, the art is by Damien Cusiero, who did some art for Boom on uh, their better Planet of the Apes books by uh, Gabriel Hardman and uh, Karina Bechtel. And uh, also illustrated my uh, uh, comic uh, attempt at comic books some 10-ish years ago. I believe you could still buy a copy of this from somewhere. Uh, Damien Cusiero is also a nice enough guy. He offered to illustrate the entire first issue after we did the ash can for free. And I was like, dude, no. Like, well, not for free, but to be paid later. But anyway, so. But we digress. We digress. But cluster number six. So this is a sci-fi comic, and we're just kind of like, awesome, another sci-fi comic. Now, this was six months ago that we were awesome, another sci-fi comic. But then you realize you, d- you don't want another generic sci-fi comic. It doesn't, Uh-oh. nobody, it, you can't maintain the enthusiasm for this thing. No. And it's gone nowhere. Yeah, yeah. So we've hit the skids. It's just like I'm giving up on a comic that I like the experience of reading. But when I get done with it, I'm like, yeah, I don't have time. There's so much better stuff I could be reading. Even new stuff I could be reading. I can't do it anymore. And it's just it makes me feel bad. And those are good guidelines for comics readers in general. (laughs) I mean, you can get really enthusiastic about one of an artist you like doing a a new a comic. You, like, okay, so Michael Lark on Lazarus. It's Michael Lark doing post dystopian, uh, or not post dystopian, but dystopian sci fi. Okay, uh, that's a cool thing. I want to see it, right? But eventually there has to be something there to keep you there. Otherwise, why don't you just look at the comic without bothering to read it? Right? Like, right. and that's where clusters gotten is. It's just like, you they know, yeah. So I, Vernon talked about jumping off of it a couple podcasts ago. And I finally, I finally jumped as well. No, goodbye, Cluster. We hardly knew ye. Which which will probably come up in a couple minutes as we discuss <laughs> indie comics. Okay, anyway. next Vernon's going to talk about his Warren Ellis book. You know right? what? Don't be, don't be mean to Warren Ellis. I like Warren Ellis. <sighs> Warren Ellis has just as many failed ideas as he has good ones. Uh, we mentioned earlier one he did with Jason Barrows about a child serial killer series. That was pretty tough. Yeah, I where's enjoy- Fell 10? Where's Fell well, 10? L, L10. Well, don't bother him about that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, his newer series, he's got a couple of them. Trees is one. This is the other one. It's called Injection. It's about uh, some British, like, people who have extraordinary uh, outlooks on life and are the big in their perspective fields get together and try to 
project the future of humanity and talk about it. And the British government sponsors these programs, well, apparently. But you know what? It, it It's some pretty good reading. And uh, he teams up with the artist Declan Shelby, who he had a six-issue run with on a Moon Knight series, which are pretty surreal and strange. Oh, I know. Just, just don't <laughs> I'm making faces at Vernon while he talks. I'm sorry, I, everyone. I don't know. I'm not an Ellis. I'm not an Ellis lover, but you know these are these are really cool little fun books. And uh, if you like this type of fiction, where all these uh, they've invented something, they've done something. We're not quite sure what it is, uh, but it's come back to haunt them, and they have to take care of it no matter what they are. And the injection is a very involved little series. You get a lot of. Bits and pieces. That's they, they, that's the thing. Probably drives you nuts about Ellis is you get all the bits and pieces, and you're supposed to put them together as the reader and add it all up to something. But uh, he does a lot of theoretical science fiction. Here we are. We're talking about science fiction. So that's true. <laughs> Ellis <laughs> is responsible for sci-fi. Hey, do you think something called Injection would make a sell sell a movie script? I think so. Okay. <sighs> So anyway, go out there and buy the first issue of Injection. Uh, Declan Shelby and him do a really good job of convincing you of this situation, the characters. Is it a movie script? Maybe. I don't know. It works. And uh, I won't call it any more than that. It's not high art, but it's pretty good. It's flawless, and it's execution. Mm, mm, mm. Vernon's uh, now making faces at me, everyone. Yeah, okay. get his tongue out of you, too, <laughs> You, you worried, Ellis, man. Right, okay, let's get back to so, Earth here. <laughs> so, for our last comic issue, we're going to talk about the Eltingville Club number two. And I'm going to read my first paragraph. No, cool. I'm not. I'm going to read my first two sentences. Is there something better than this issue of the Eltingville Club? But. Probably. Hopefully not. Yeah. Not exactly, but oh, okay, so my only experience with Evan Dorkin before Eltingville was not Eltingville Dork the franchise Milk and Cheese the brand none of these things Vernon is saying to me was something whatever the hell he did in Dark Horse Presents and I didn't like it. He didn't do milk and cheese? I don't think oh. I liked it. Huffity fuck. No, I don't like milk and cheese either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. He did, um... That thing on Yancey's... Night Falls on Yancey's... Yeah. Well, that's His indie stuff, I didn't... I didn't dig it. I think I liked Beasts of Burden, but... I had no idea what Eltingville Club was before the first issue. You know there's an animated show. I do. I'm going to watch it very soon. But it's <laughs> this – it's oh – God, how do you even – so it's – it's <laughs> the worst of fandom. fandom, but it's not the worst of fandom. It's us. It's us, uh, right? It, it's our worst selves. It's all of our worst selves. He doesn't right. actually conceive of some worse-than-us fan and just put them there. He instead finds this 
these awful parts of us and puts them out there and it puts them to their extremes and they're just it is it's hilarious because it you do see the your potential toward the dark side in these books that I develop into <laughs> it's dense cartooning at its most I don't know it just and this issue is so knowing. dense I mean oh. even I, <laughs> half an hour to read this fucking thing. I mean, it's just huge, and you're not, it's not just a half hour because of all the dialogue, it's a half hour because of the way Dorkin leads you through the art. Like, it's so, you have to look. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Fills it with such juicy (sighs) detail of the exacting details of fanboy NUI. It's just ridiculous. I mean, each of our four protagonists that are part of the Eltingville fan club represent different aspects of our fanboy NUI. And they all, like, bring their personas to the table and clash in this. It's ten years after number one. We right. Should say, right. Number one was just a fucking ridiculous Ulysses <laughs> Comics literature, I tell you not. If you do not have a copy of Elting Neville number one, you should run out into the rain and beat on the door until the comics dealer lets you in and lets you buy it. But anyway, Eltingville 2 takes place 10 years after the former, and they all meet up at the comic convention. For because where else do we meet? It's where we all meet, exactly. And I mean, the Dorkin acknowledges the idea that the comic convention has become socially acceptable. Yes. Yeah. It's a living for people. So yes, it's just, Oh, it's so good. It's just, if, if you're of a sophisticated enough mind where you think you can handle this amount of information, you should definitely like look into this thing because every, everything that you've ran into in your lifetime at conventions is in here. It's utterly ridiculous. Yeah. So that actually wraps up our uh, comic uh, single issue discussions. So we're going to move on to a couple trades Vernon wanted to talk about. And I can't actually say a word about the first one. Oh, man. Anyway. Anyway, there's a couple of them that have come out and they're worthy of your attention. And I must say I haven't read Empowered Volume 9 by the inevitable Adam Warren yet. Sorry. Yeah, it was your idea to talk about it. I've never read Empowered. Never? You've been telling me to for 11 years. I just, I've just i been busy. I've been busy. Anyway, he's got a new one. I haven't had a chance to read it because we're in the sale season, and I'm definitely going to crack it one of these days. But uh, it just came out. If you haven't read Empowered, read it now. Get number one, Slimaki Retailer. Another trade that's come out, Invisible Republic. Invisible number. Republic. Part Gabriel Hardman. Yep, and uh, you only get the first five issues here. It's a good book. It's a futuristic sci-fi, hard sci-fi. Him and uh, his wife, Karina Becto, writing it and him drawing it. It's a good book. It's, um... I mean, it's 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 Gabriel Hardman who hasn't worked for Marvel in like four years, right? Like it's right, been right. a while since he's doing some of the fringe things that you've been reading. Yeah. Planet of the 
Apes coverages and shit. Exactly. Yeah. He wrote Planet of the Apes and all of a sudden was like, oh, I like sci-fi so much, I'm going to do my own. And yeah. it's, um... Well, it's so not, far, so good. I have to so say, far, so not, good. It's not the most right. original sci-fi, but it's some of the better comic sci-fi going on. Right. It concerns the, what is it, a brother and sister, or are they cousins? I forget. But they work their way from, like, uh, what Lady call them, uh, surf-like level to eventual owners of the planet or whatever they're on. I forget. Well, one of them becomes a dictator. It's very um, Ender's Game without the creepiness of Orson Scott Card. Ooh, that's pretty creepy. That's good. But yeah. it's not presented. Let's not associate our nice comic with this hideous <laughs> Uh, but it's uh, good stuff. I mean, it, it's one of those lovely nine ninety nine uh, image trades. So you know something, skip that uh, thing where you you have to buy a Marvel or DC trade and just go over and get Invisible Republic Volume One for. 10 or if you're in Vernon Shop, buy both. Oh yeah, there you go. Because we love you forever. <laughs> so next we're gonna. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> So Vernon, <laughs> in our show notes, Vernon has described this uh, this portion of our conversation as indie fails. <laughs> indie fails. And indie. so, <clears throat> so Vernon's got a list that I have not seen of indie fails he wants to talk about. But since I don't have a list I've shown him, I'll just start with... We didn't talk about Manifest Destiny, the latest issue, but Manifest Destiny has hit the point of uh, letter 44 for me that I just am, I mean, okay, it hasn't actually hit the point of letter 44 where the art is, the art on Manifest Destiny is very good. Okay, <laughs> I don't think there's any book that we've talked about, every single issue that we have not liked the art except letter 44. Letter 44, we've never liked the art. I'm sorry. Especially since we found out that uh, the guy who draws war stories listens to our podcast. Oh, that's scary. It's... Uh, draw! Draw, Thomas! Don't listen to us! Draw! Yeah, um, yeah, draw. Don't bother with us idiots. Concentrate on the expressions. Yes, that's what Ennis yeah, is going for. Good to go, Holmes. Okay, I feel like a dick now. But anyway, moving on. Manifest Destiny is this... Really great high concept Lewis and Clark versus um, uh, monster Lovecraftian monsters in the new world. Uh, Pocahontas is a badass type book, and it just isn't. It's not delivering yet. I still read it every month, right? And it's like letter forty-four. It's not delivering yet. I read it every month. Yeah, we're getting and to that. It's getting to the point where. I'm like, should I read this every month or should I just wait until there are a couple, three issues and then just force myself to read them because maybe I'll enjoy the experience better. It's, it's, it's practically the, you know, 2007 trade waiting, just not quite there yet because you're like, this book might never get a trade. Yeah. Well, you know, it manifests destiny, right? It, 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 like it, it needs to have. It goes for its like quick, jumpy payoffs, but I'm not quite sure there's an ultimate goal in mind here. 
that we can look forward to. They've kind of hinted sort of at it, but they're stretching out what happens on an issue-by-issue basis to the point where, okay, we're in danger here of losing the focus of your readership. I mean... And and this isn't Ultimate Spider-Man of 2004 or 3. There aren't two issues of this coming out a month. Like, you're... Making us wait a month, maybe two months, and then you're really not actually moving it forward enough for us to get invested in it while we're waiting for the next issue. You know, it's like you feel cheated as far as how much time and thought you put into it. Exactly. The Sacagawea sequence is such a key. Why are we bringing her more and more intensively into the plot if it's not going to have her take over the plot? If you're not going to do this, don't do this, you know. You promised she was going to take over the plot since the second issue, you know, you promised. Like, like, like her birth and spawn or whatever the hell's coming out of her is going to take over the plot. We don't care. We really don't care. This is minor. We're we're about her. We're not about her spawn. It's very It's very, it's just, and we're seeing it with a lot of image books. Um, Cowl hit a period like this, and then Cowl just stopped. And you can argue that that was how Cowl was supposed to go, but I don't subscribe to that belief. I think that Cowl was supposed to continue. 11 Issues is an odd number. Especially with a useless fill-in issue. But anyway, so it's like, when you go to Dark Horse versus Image, you have a book like Dream Thief that does one limited, then it does another after a certain amount of time. Same thing goes for Resident Alien, especially Resident Alien, right? Resident right. Alien's had three never, series now, right? And they're just getting better. Like oh, two years, right? Yeah. And I mean, that could be, you know, Resident Alien has, you know, Dark Horse Presents to fall back on. I don't know how many issues of that they sell, but it it does stay in the sort of brand consciousness. In that um, in that way between series, but yeah, I mean it's it's weird. We're seeing burnout on indie series with issue six for me on Cluster, with issue four on Cluster for Vernon. We're seeing it with something like Sheltered with eleven issues, and that is an investment. You've made a real investment in a story, and you're jumping off. You're jumping off of something right before it's done. It's it's it, you're not stopping the movie twenty minutes in. You're stopping the movie twenty minutes before it's over because you don't care anymore, and that's a very bad point to get to. And we're seeing it a lot. Right. They don't have a ultimate plan for what it is they're writing, whether it's ongoing or not, is not the question. But where are they going? And, and yeah, yeah. Go ahead, right? I mean, I, I, well, no, I think I think actually we might just want to shoot into hot right. Well, we only talk about Fingerman, but 
on the there's, flip, there's a number there's a number of indie series that suffer from this affliction. Yes, and the thing is, is that somebody like Greg Rucka on Lazarus has kept it going. He's kept his he's got he's, his, a, he's a seasoned professional. That's I, what I'm trying it, to get at. Is that we're running into the fact that image running without editors of real caliber and quality is getting to be a problem for this. And it's going to lessen. We've seen it. I don't read every image at number one anymore. There's too many for one. There's well, there's too many, but it's also, it doesn't mean that there's something worth reading in it. Don't you don't feel that urgency. Exactly. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot of planets that, planets <laughs> there's a lot of the that just like fall beyond the wayside because well we we, we like oh what is it i don't know what sure why it's like an ultra secret factory where the reason we don't produce this comic correctly is this and i don't see why people can't be honest about it on the internet why it isn't happening bitch planet what do we got four issues kind of sort of we're waiting for another one i'm like i'm not waiting for another one <laughs> i have reduced all my extra issues <clears throat> i said bins and they're gone tales of honor we got one issue where's it at there's another one like why are we publishing one issue what you know you should know this ahead of time whether or not you're ready to go I mean, we get one issue, what, eight, nine weeks ago, and it sits around. Um, I'm kind of concerned for Busiek's Tooth and Claw. I think a good editor would help him. Uh, we really needed to see, like, a point to the first arc, which wasn't there. And it's really going to be hard to get you and I to read any more after this, I think. Don't you? I'm, I, are you going to – are you are you bitten on the chomp for Autumnland 7 or whatever the hell it is? I don't know. Um, six issues six issues is a lot of material and he really had to establish that and I think a good editor would help him focus on why we should read volume two Yo, oh, Joan Hilty quit Vertigo right like Image has got money they've got Walking Dead money hire Joan Hilty and say Joan Hilty knows more about comics than Eric Larson. She never greenlit any piece of shit like the Savage Dragon. Okay, that was mean, but whatever. <laughs> no shit. Well, you know, and, 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 and then you get like things that don't have any editors at all, like these black. Oh, they're okay. So, I mean, what, what what do we think? What do we think? Ten percent of Image books have an editor. Yeah, the smart ones. Yeah. Ten. Even, even Brubaker admitted it on this series. I have an editor now. I'm like, yeah. We were both we were both like so happy he's got an editor. And now Fade Out is like his best book so far. Exactly, right? Like. <laughs> what, is that a coincidence? I don't think so. I'm sorry. No, can you retroactively bring that guy back to Fatal Volume 2, please, Ed? Yes. Damn <laughs> sake. All right, so we're going to actually use that as a segue into our... Um, hot writers segment, uh, Vernon's top guns to borrow yep. a Marvel adage. Yes. We're, 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 we're looking, we're looking at the two biggest 800 pound gorillas in the room to lead off with. <laughs> uh, we, you could accuse us for being Ed Brubaker horse, but 
We're really not. We're really just invested a lot of our time reading Ed, and we like his stuff. And we have one major flaw with Ed. He doesn't end well. No. But he has a really varied history in comics right now because from the bottom up, he has been involved from the grassroots part of it until the ultimate production level where he's got his own franchise gone. Wouldn't you say that's true? He's up there with he's up there with Mignola now with his own franchise thing. Yeah, I mean, so we actually have some sort of a Brubaker episode out there. So <laughs> we should we should skip through some stuff, but the reason Brubaker is um, we're talking we already talked about him this issue with uh, or this episode with Velvet. But it's really because of something like Fade Out, right? Like Ed Brubaker has turned his collaborations with Sean Phillips into a brand of sorts, Brubaker Phillips. And this started with, I mean, it really started with um, Sleeper. They're trying to shoehorn uh, Scene of the Crime into that because I think Phillips inked Lark on that. Right, that's probably where they first started working. But together. but really, truthfully, seeing the crimes about Michael Lark. Like, I'm sorry, Sean. I love you. I love you to pieces. Paint me something. I love you. That's not the reason anybody looks at that art. You're not. Sorry. It's it's Sean Phillips doing film noir in 1990s Seattle or whatever the shit. They started on Sleeper in 2003, and they've been doing stuff since then together, and they still have not done their damn pirate series that they promised many years ago, but then they signed with Marvel, did Criminal, did Incognito, they've gone Criminal, on to... Criminal's still open-ended, I think, isn't it? Criminal's still open-ended, we had that special a while ago, did Fatal, did Velvet, did, and are doing... Fatalen, or I'm sorry, Velvet and the Fade Out ongoing right now. And their collections, and you know, it's it's this whole thing they've got going on. There's Back Matter by famousy people, right? I think basically. And that started on Criminal when they were talking about film noir. And it's it's cool. And the thing is, is that When you look at Brubaker, you're kind of like, low life would have been enough, right? Low life came out. And he drew it. And he drew it, and that bastard drug, and, and he blames it all on his wife. You know what? If you beg me, I will show you my issues of low life, you curs. Just it's all Ed Brubaker's wife's fault that she doesn't want him to write a comic about being a livid piece of shit. But he did it 20 years ago. <laughs> and it's great. Low Life is just great. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, Low Life is amazing. But then, you know, then Brubaker started doing stuff with Dark Horse, and he did Fanographics, uh, Drawn in Quarterly, and all these other things. And wasn't he at Caliber at some point? Maybe. Yeah. I don't, 
I don't remember. He he worked with Jason Lutz on the fall. I should. Yeah, in the fall, and he did all this great stuff, and then he hit at DC and Vertigo, and he did. He has not like done shitty work at all ever. I mean, Ed Brubaker has not achieved say the highs of Alan Moore yet. He's almost there with Fado, perhaps. We'll see. We'll see, uh, but he's well, never done shit, right? And I mean, he's done. Yeah. He right. made he's, Books of Doom a freaking. I bought. I have the trade to Books of Doom, right? Like, why? Yeah. Why do I have the trades to Book of because Doom? Because it's the best damn Doom story in the world. Exactly. And so he does all this stuff. And the only Oof. thing Broke I think that we have sort of been. Less, we're almost done. Oh shit! Okay, everyone, sorry about that. <clears throat> okay. Um, this Captain America stuff reborn and whatever, but you know, Brubaker's been doing a bunch of good stuff, and he's uh, it's he's, working he's out. Door. He is the best. In terms of successful writers in comics right now, he's got like this pedigree that runs 20 miles ago and then some, and he just keeps knocking on the door of, of, of super megadom in our humble opinion. And it, it, it seems like it's getting there. It seems like it'll be there soon. Well, anyway, uh, moving on to our next guy. Matt Fraction. He uh, he's uh, he's he's a mainstream guy, and we put him on the list just because he's he's successful starting out at Marvel, and catapulted his career into an indie thing at Image with uh, what is it, uh, Sex Criminals, Casanova, and Satellite Satellite Sam. Sam. Yeah, and we are big on this guy. Uh, we have Satellite no Sam. Yeah, I mean, the first that, two that, trades of that great book. Well, you know, there's a third coming, too, which finishes right. it off. And that's everything, yeah. I mean, Fraction is the bomb. And, you know what? You have to be an adult to read his stuff. It's not for kids. <clears throat> <laughs> but that's okay, too. I mean, that's my favorite stuff. He uh, took his Marvel career, went on his own with Image, and it's been working out all right. Uh, our third in a row is at Ted Nifa. Ted Nifa. Ted Nifa, of course, did, uh, what is her name? The first one, the, the scary Courtney, one. Courtney, Courtney Crumlin. Crumlin, which is a good little uh, book, and uh, Dark Horse has turned it into a nice little collection of trades for him. But then he also just did uh, Princess Ugg, which, after some rocky issues, turned out to be a great book. And when we got to the end of that first arc, we were like, what do you mean it's not an ongoing, you jerk? <laughs> I'm sorry, it was Oni, not Dark Horse, right? For yeah, Oni it is. Oni it is, yeah. Um, yeah. What is it? Ted Nifa is uh, like probably the quintessential all young and all ages. He is. Right, uh, right now. Uh, and he's he got, is. He's got like three, like Polly and the Pirates. They're going to reprint that hopefully, volume one. I'm hoping to God I get to sell that on my shelf. <laughs> I'm like, give me those books. Ted Knife is probably the uh, greatest all-ages writer we have on the modern market. He is. Right? He's better I mean, than... Well, 
So I think, I mean, like, Roger Langridge with Snarked was really shooting for something all ages. And he hit, in, even though you fell off of Snarked, he really did hit this audience with this one series. But he doesn't hit that every time. Nypha does. Nypha is able to hit the all ages every time. Yeah, his latest work, Princess Ugg, is, is great. It's all boys, all girls. All everybody, so make sure you read that. That is just uh, that made that break break out the Kleenex. Boo hoo! No, oh, great book. <laughs> Next, right, we've gonna... got somebody who's not all age. <laughs> yeah. Roberto Aguirre Sarcaza, who what he's he's got the arch three years ago. Everybody been like. Why the hell are they talking about that guy who was going to replace Mark Wade on Fantastic Four but didn't? Yes. <laughs> He's since reinvented Archie Comics as a as a brand to fear. Uh, amazing. I looked him up on Wicca, not that the, the, the uh, yeah. ultimate knowledge but he's apparently a like script writer, playwright or whatever it is. Yeah, he's and a it, playwright. Yeah. It really plays off to his strengths with Archie and Sabrina. It's really grand. Afterlife with Archie is a great book, but the Sabrina book is it's just oh, it just fucks with you. It's a great book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, those are those are the books of his to read. I need to go back and read his uh, Marvel Knights because he wrote twenty, thirty of them. He wrote thirty issues of that book. FF. FF Marvel Knights and then yeah, it's yeah, Marvel yeah. Knights four from uh I, I think I packaged those up and sold them for five dollars a piece. <laughs> so yeah, we need <laughs> we should take a look at that. Oops. But then he went to TV and he did uh Oh and he did some movies too. Okay. So anyway, Archie is you know, blame it on him, blame all its goodness on him. I guess would be the way of putting it. But, but you know, he's really rejuvenated. And we were talking on our last podcast about how he's virtually rejuvenated the Archie franchise by making them relevant, at least as far as comics again. Well, you know? relevant as comics. And in Afterlife with Archie, he suggested the idea Archie could be relevant with general audiences again. And they've Archie has since taken that to relaunching Archie as trying to be relevant. With the new series that we didn't talk about. <laughs> well, Archie, okay. after, Archie and Sabrina are great series. Yeah. So make sure. After Life with Archie. Yes, yes. Um, our next one, like as we go down the list, we've got a couple more to go. Is it Brandon Graham? Brandon like- Graham, who we mentioned earlier, who went from Prophet, which is amazing, King City, which I didn't read. And now he's kind of got his own little sub-brand going at Image with uh, Eight House and uh, Island, and those are some really good books. And he's bringing a indie sensibility to Image as Image is becoming more and more... About the percentage points. Yes. Image started about the percentage points, didn't make it eventually because Spawn failed. Um, well... They're at 10 and holding right now for about four months. Okay. Did uh, did the indie thing, got too popular, but Brandon Graham sort of reminding them of their... He's the he's the Bernie, um, Bernie, what's his name? Seltzer? What's this guy's name? I forget what his name is. 
Who's the, who's the uh, Democratic candidate? I can't. Oh, remember. he's the Bernie. Oh, sh- Bernie Sanders of Image. He's Comics. the Bernie Sanders of indie comics right now. Yeah, he is versus uh, Kirkman and Miller. Right. There you go. Okay. Yeah, he he holds out the like extreme um, indie wing of Image. There you uh, go. Yeah. Now, now, believe it or not, like, is it uh, King City was actually started as a semi porn comic for Fantagraphics or one of those labels. And he has since blossomed into the, like, organic hippie mode where he gets to have the uh, Island Anthology and the uh, Ark, Ark House comic. Yeah. And he succeeds. We wish him all the luck because he is the fringe element of the Image Comics group, and may he thrive. Because <laughs> it's some good stuff. Except for James Luco and the stupid thing we didn't talk about in the fail. But next yeah. we're going to talk about Fingerman. We're going to talk about Bob Fingerman again. Just uh, he's too late. Uh, just let him go with just for you. It's he, just he, too he, good. Yeah, it, Bob Fingerman is your ultimate uh like Jewish comedian as a com- comic book artist, but not right. over. he's very subtle. Like he doesn't wear his ethnic ethnicity on his sleeve or anything like that but he manages to convey that type of comedy in some ways but it's ultra personal and he also comments on his dream sequences and his friends it's and just, how they, it's it is just so good he is a ultimate cartoonist and has friends and sexual liaisons and, <laughs> and it's a fun it's like if sex in the city were actually fun it'd be like Bob Fingerman's Minimum Wage. It's really like a fun comic, you know, filled with uh, exy humor, as it were. And Fingerman's the only guy on the list except Ted Nyefe that's only got one thing ongoing. So that, that'll that tell you something. These are guys who can do one series and have it be significant. Yes, right. They pour their heart and soul. Into and I'm every- not saying that, okay, so if Brubaker was just doing the fade out, it'd still be significant, but... That Velvet's hit a stride after meandering is a good example. And Fraction's a little uneven, but he's still, you know, he's got some great stuff. And so these are just guys that... They don't have to draw their own stuff either, whereas the other two do. Well, Roberto Aguirre Sarkaza doesn't draw his own stuff. Yeah. So those are some good guys to watch. There's trades for all of them. I mean... Don't don't hide. Don't don't seek seek these things out. Go to Amazon for Christ's sake, but preferably your local comic. Preferably store. go to Vernon's shop and then go to Amazon. Instead of a, a shop besides <laughs> Vernon's, everyone. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Just buy them from a brick and mortar for Christ's sake. <laughs> Down with comics outlet. Sorry. Okay. Well, you know, th- this is our latest podcast. We seem to be getting it on our thumb. Hopefully, you're, you're in agreement. Let us know any of your quibbles, complaints, comments at either the Comics Gallery Facebook. That's Comics with an X, Gallery Facebook. The Comics Andrew, with an X. Or the com- or Comics Fondle, no X, dot com. No X. Or leave what? us a f- uh, iTunes comment, whatever. But, you know, let us know. All right. Either way, just speak to us. We love you. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye, kids.